Welcome, fitness enthusiasts and ultimate frisbee aficionados to the Tobu Fitness Podcast. Your guide to elevating your game and mastering the art of ultimate frisbee through the lens of strength and conditioning. Whether you're a seasoned player or just stepping onto the field for the first time, this podcast is your one-stop destination for unlocking your true potential. This is the Tobu Fitness Podcast with your host, certified strength and conditioning coach, Justin Shelby. Real quick, before we get started, I've got to ask if you would be nice enough to share this episode. This helps me out a lot, helps get this information out to a lot more Ultimate players to be able to help them out. So if you wouldn't mind sharing this episode with your friends, your family, your teammates, putting it up on your social medias or your Instagram stories, anything like that, that would really help me out. Let's get into this episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 11. If you can see, we're in person Again, got a great guest today. This is AJ Merriman. AJ, how are you? Good. I'm doing good. How are you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for being on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You want to start off by telling people about your background? Um, I, I was born in Southern Virginia, and I grew up in Berryville, Virginia, which is up north, uh, closer to D.C. here, which is where we are right now. I started playing Ultimate in high school, uh, like after cross country. We were just throwing the disc around. Uh, I fell in love with how it was flying in the air and uh, found out it was a sport. Found the AUDL first uh, by like Googling Ultimate Frisbee that night. Uh, it was like, oh, I could be pro in Ultimate. Who plays Ultimate? Um, and now a whole lot of work has gone into becoming pro and playing for uh, Team USA a little bit. And and now I'm here being a full-time professional Ultimate player, um, coaching some on the side and and just trying to trying to be the best I can be. Yeah, that's awesome. You got to be living under a rock at this point to not have heard of you. AJ, the Frisbee guy on Instagram. Yes, sir. Too, right? Um yeah, well, I know you play for in the AUDL for the DC Breeze, and then uh, for the club you play for Truck Stop. Now, this was your your first season, right? Yes, this is my first season with Truck Stop. Right on. And then you guys won a national championship. So congrats on that. Appreciate that. Yep. Yeah. Thing. Tell tell me what what that process was like. Like, what's it like winning a, a club national championship? Well, for me, it was a it was a long like season. Um, not even just the. For a lot of my teammates, there a lot went into it for multiple seasons and many years, and for me as well. But being a rookie on a team is definitely a different vibe, and so like learning the guys and just trying to understand how everybody worked and where I could fit in and how I could be the best teammate to my teammates to make the the whole thing work, be the best unit. Um, it was a grind, and then we just kept winning close games and ended up in the finals. And then you just got to do the thing. So. Um, Definitely didn't feel like what I think a lot of people's national championship journeys feel like um, from what I've heard from older guys that I've talked to in the past. Um, I just felt like uh, any other day, like just go out and, and do the things. And if you do the things, you're going to win the games. And we ended up winning all of our all of our games that we needed to. Yeah, I think that that's like a testament to your guys's like process too, right? Like you're saying, like if day in, day out practices are a grind, like you're grinding together. Then yeah, then going out and these these tough games are just like any other day. Like you've you've already put in the work for that. Um, I think that's also kind of speaks to you guys as like culture too. Like I know the the breeze culture and truck stop are like very closely interlinked. Can you talk a little bit about like what that's like? Like the the differences between AUDL and club, or if there are any, really? Yeah, I think that I'm very proud of how little difference there is between the culture of um, breeze and truck stop and the AUDL and club. Um, just because DC Ultimate has kind of grown, especially since I 
like entered the community around 2017 was the first year I played YCC. So the first year I played like high level organized uh, club youth ultimate in uh, in DC. Um, I've seen it go from kind of like um, in other cities, like one team kind of runs things then everybody's following suit. Whereas in DC, it's more whoever's working the hardest is kind of setting the tone. And we even have people move into DC from other cities for for work, um, maybe moving with a significant other. But we we just kind of end up with the hardest working guys from from each city is what it feels like. Um, we just have a hard working attitude, um, and not just I'm saying guys, but not just on the on the men's side. Like uh, a lot of times when we have breeze practice, we have the whole field reserved, and we're not using the whole thing. And so scandal slash shadow players show up on the on the side, and they just they they know we've got the field, so they're coming to work hard. And, and I really appreciate that. And that hardworking thing, I think it's the, the through line of, of all those, those things. It does help to have a very similar roster. I think all but two or three people on truck stop this season were on the breeze. And then almost all the rest of the guys on the breeze were on vault, which is, which is just super sick to have a, a program like that in the city. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It speaks to the, the city overall. It's not just one team. Like you're saying, it's the the culture around the entire like DC ultimate scene that really sticks together. I think that's awesome. Um, I guess going a little bit more into your specific game. So you mentioned you came in as a rookie for this team, really just had to try to be the best teammate that you could. Uh, what was that process like? Like walk me through your mindset of trying to like figure out your role and then how you tried to go into that as best as you could. Yep. So anytime I'm joining a team or it's my first time on the team, uh, my first thing is kind of like watching film of, what the team has done and see where I see myself like oh they like a big under there could have helped like maybe I could come in and be like a big chunker like just cutting deep cutting under trying to gain yards for this team or like oh they've got good deep cutters maybe I could be a thrower for this team stuff like that um but with truck stop was a little bit different because I've been a fan of the team for so long I've watched the team for so long I remember like a very specific moment um I was with the Red Wolves at a hotel in 2022 watching uh U.S. Open and I saw like my D line out there, like the Breeze D line, uh, plus Ben Ort uh, at that at that tournament. And I was like, I just you know, like FOMO, like I felt like I was missing out. Um, so I so I really just wanted to get out there and just start working hard with them and and just add to the fire um, because I I knew that they were very like and a lot of things put together on their on their D line, especially. Um, I'm always looking at it from a D-line perspective. Usually the O's has stuff handled. I don't really want to play for a team if I need to play for their O. Uh, I like I like the D side. Um, but so, yeah, learning like learning everybody's like ins and outs, learning everybody as better people is what I needed to do for this truck stop team. And normally I would, normally that's not where my head's at. Normally I'm thinking about it from an ultimate perspective. Um, Troy Holland um, was our captain this year, and he did an amazing job of connecting with each and every single person and having like a genuine, real connection with all 26 guys on the roster. Um, and so I kind of like by him reaching out to me and trying to and trying to learn more about me and like you know watch film together and just see what see what each other are seeing on the field. I kind of followed suit with that and tried to like learn my teammates more and uh, just yeah learn about people more so that I knew what they were thinking and we always had each other's backs yeah were there any big surprises then like um because you you said you played with a lot of these guys on breeze but learning them more in the club scene was there anything that really stuck out the chaos of truck stop is 
by far the thing that that stuck out to me the most. There's n- there's not really any organization. Nobody's really in charge. It's it's very much like everybody's vibes. Like anybody's vibes could be prevailing at any moment. Like Jasper's is very high energy and always has something like kind of out of left field for most of us. Uh, like in his head, um, and we're like and we we love to go along with that and like just see what Jasper's thinking. Um, or maybe Charlie McCutcheon is saying something like saying something really funny, but like kind of quietly. And so you got to like know what he's on to like know what's going on. And there's just so much going on um, that that like surprised me very much. Like I thought I was coming into like a because on the field, we kind of seem like a unit and everything's everything's very like uh, organized and off the field. And just in general, it's just chaos, which is kind of sick. That's interesting because, I yeah, I would think the same that like going into a very high level team, like it'd be very structured, but and yeah, I, I've kind of seen that at like the lower like sectionals, low tier regional level teams. It's like you get a lot of situations where there's like too many chefs in the kitchen and then nobody's listening. But it sounds like that's the strength of the, the team in a sense. Yep. Yeah. Sure. That's interesting. That's interesting. We even, we even, I think, never got to the too many chefs thing. We're, we're more the not enough chefs and then like somebody needs to step up and get it done. And there's always somebody to step up and get it done. But we're definitely lean to the everybody's just kind of doing their own thing and then they're, we're like oh we need to get that done um, yeah not to not to put any shade on the leadership but that was the vibes it it, it worked though obviously it worked it, it paid off it worked it paid off and then talk to me so i know you said um like you're, you're not thinking too much on the offensive side but i know like at least for me so like the theme the theme of like my coaching my page everything like that is i don't talk too much about strategy but there's been so many times now where people have reached out to me asking, like, how can we implement a truck stop offense or something like that? It's like I feel like truck stop is I like iconic in the way that they they kind of have their offense, the flow, the small ball style, whatever you want to call it. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Kind of your thoughts on it? I would love to. I, I love when people talk about the truck stop offense. You could get all eight, nine, ten guys that play offense for Breeze and Truck consistently in here and give them a whiteboard, and they could not teach you the truck stop offense. There's no truck stop offense. People always want to run some system or um, some cuts. They're, like, I think looking at it the wrong way. It's very much a chemistry thing, um, definitely a front-of-the-stack-oriented offense um, if we're going to talk about it, like, in X's and O's, but it's – just players knowing where each other are going and knowing how to counter off of those things. Um, something I yell on the field a lot um, when I'm watching these guys play um, is there's no pass is a bad pass. Like, if you can hit hands, hit the hands. Um, so, like, when when players come to me and tell me they want to run the truck stop offense, that's the first thing I start with is just hit hands and, and run hard. Um, knowing where the thrower's progressions are going helps a lot. Um, a lot of... Th- the thing that I see the most out of the truck stop O that makes it um, the truck stop O, even I played for the Blue Devils down in the Dominican Republic um, for the Pan American Championships. And we had Tyler Monroe and uh, A-Roy, Andrew Roy, um, like running that offense um, along with Alex Machado, a very, very good Dominican. And he looked like he'd been playing truck O his whole life just by slotting in and reading the person in front of him and even if you're not cutting now if you read the person in front of you and counter off their cut if they don't get it you're going to get it and if they do get it you're probably open now and you can stay open by continuing your movement um and so if you watch blue devils um from pan american championships 
not the truck O guys, but it's truck O. So I think it's really just about being a, a very um, internally focused offense and and reading off people. Yeah, like less about less about systems and principles and like being uh, like prescribing certain movements and more just about like feeling the vibes kind of. Very vibes based. Yeah, it's, this seems like the theme of all of, all of DC Ultimate. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Well, let's let's shift gears here a little bit. Um, instead of talking about the team, let's talk a little bit more about you and kind of your process. Right. So you said uh, was it 2017 is when you started playing YCC or was it ADL? That was the first year I tried out for a YCC team. I see. Yep. Gotcha. And then since then, like talk about the the progression of that. Like when you're looking at your own game and like specific things to to start to improve like where where does your mindset go with that yes so each each year in the off season i'm trying to get better at the most amount of things like in season it's pretty much tune up like get better at the things you already have and then off season you're adding things um in in 2017 i thought i had the whole game like i was very uh very ignorant uh blissfully ignorant um but now i'm I'm adding like around backhands, like a like a strong around backhand at uh, when my target's five yards away, when my target's ten yards away, and when my target's fifteen yards away. Like that's the thing that I'm thinking about a lot right now. Um, the inside backhand. Um, I wasn't really that into it, but then I saw Jack Williams like post. He was trying to get Joe White's inside backhand, and just the type of competitor I am, I'm like, all right, whatever. Let, let me get Joe White's backhand so we can so we can do that thing. Um, so the inside backhand, like the half pivot. Um, Valeria is is probably the best player in ultimate right now and she's got and she's got a very good one um so I'm kind of looking at Joe and her trying to take their stuff um and that's a consistent theme is I think about what just by watching my own film what I need what I am lacking and then I go and find players who are very good at it and then just try and replicate that and then along the hours at the field I see where my uh form or style of it is going to differ from theirs and how that's going to become a strength for me yeah, that's interesting. Um, I guess like recently, then when you're working on that, are there any specific drills or anything like you're doing on the field that you found has been most effective to work on that? Um, throwing with a mark today. Um, we just we just got back from a, a very good training session with uh, Clem Michael Clemensic, uh, my second YCC coach, um, Foggy Bottom Boys. Um, he had all of his UVA boys that are from. Uh, DC out here. He had the WNL Washington Liberty guys that he coaches out. Um, and then how many people were out there? Probably like 20, 22. Yeah. About, yeah. About that. Um, so it was a, a hodgepodge of people working out and doing, we did footwork and then we did mini. And then afterwards I just found a couple of people to throw with and work on the inside backhands. And that's like kind of how I brought the whole session together for me is like, we were playing a lot. I was tired, just found some people to throw with and work very specifically on moving my hips, uh, first to throw the inside uh, half of the backhand. Um, so it's kind of like it's kind of like that, just flow into something and then, oh, I'm really tired. That's the hardest time for me to throw this. Let's throw it. And that's, that's why I wanted to throw that uh, backhand then. Interesting. Yeah, I've played around with that recently too. Like um, for me, I feel like one of my goals that I noticed or kind of from the season was like I thought my conditioning was good and my conditioning was not good, like playing D-line the whole year. Um, so like track workouts and, and running and stuff has been a big focus in the off season. And then I, I feel that. So like after the track workout, I'm like, I am so tired. Like I, I get my breathing back, get the heart rate back down, but I'm still tired. And it's like, all right, can I lock in and throw 
right now is is that something that you feel like is really effective for a lot of people very effective i think that's the simplest thing if you just run all the time and then throw by yourself afterwards you can get significantly better at ultimate even if you're very good i don't think there's a there's ever like a ceiling you're gonna hit jack williams can can go run five miles and throw and it'll make him a little bit better right yeah and it, that's like if we want to talk about specificity like that's something that i know a lot of people talk about is like how specific is this to ultimate and like that's exactly that like you can go out and throw a thousand throws but if you're fresh and you know your heart rate never gets up then it's like that those were good throws that's a good training session but it's like how specific that is, or how specific really is that to ultimate like yeah if you're playing d-line you're chasing your guy around and you finally get the turns like when you finally catch the disc like heart rate's really high you're breathing heavy and you got to be able to lock in at that moment so yeah i think that's really good um going back to then like your process so you talked about like the backhands something you're doing now um somewhere along the line like between 2017 and now what was like the thing that you found that kind of elevated your game the most it's a good question it's hard to say um there's a so there's a couple things i think the conditioning like just um start to finish like went up the most um i wasn't in a in very good condition in 2017 and now i'd say i'm or at least last season maybe not currently was in very good condition um but also just the the feel of the game, like understanding what everybody else is doing on the field without being able to see it, like with a quick check, um, goes a, a super long way. So I'd say it's either conditioning or my general field sense. That's kind of a broad thing. Um, but there's some specific things that, I, that you can do to work on, like general field sense. Uh, Rowan uh, showed me my favorite one that I still do whenever I'm watching film is just blink a bunch or close your eyes and then open them for five, like close your eyes for five seconds, then open them and then close them for another five seconds. So you're just like peeking. And if you can follow the game, then your field sense is pretty good. If you if you open your eyes and you're surprised at what's going on, either something crazy happened on the field or probably, you know, you just weren't as locked in with the game as you thought you were. Um, so just understanding how everybody's moving and why people are moving where they're moving uh, goes a long way. Makes you, it's like working uh, working smarter, not harder. So being able to have the conditions so you can work hard and then making it your life easier, um, they pair together. And I think that's why I've gotten so much better so quickly. Um, but those two, uh, it's up to you, which, whichever you think I got better at best, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you find that there's a specific like camera angle when you're watching film t- that works best for that? Or I love, I love to talk about like film and camera angles. Um, I've been emailing multi world all off season in their year. I think the, like if you can see everybody, if you're watching film for um, for tactical getting better purposes, then if you can see all 14 people on the field, that's the best. In, in the NFL, they call it the All-22. It's like the camera on the top of the stadium. That's what the coaches are watching. That's what you watch in the film sessions. Um, so the All-14 is is the best. The like, I forget what Ulti World calls it, but like the field pass, the field pass, where there's no commentators. They just put an extra camera up on wherever they have a have their cameras and they film another field. Um, I really enjoy that that footage. The um, truck dig game um, from Nationals. Uh, some people might not might know that game. Uh, that's like that that camera angle is my favorite because you can see everything and there's not a lot of uh, like it's not very artistic. There's not a lot of opinion going into what's being filmed. It's you just have everything so that you can see everything. I see. Which is huge. What do you think about 
I don't know what camera angle you call it. Like I see the flat baller guys film it the most where it's like at the back of the back end zone yeah, yeah. Flat, like level with the yeah, yeah. yeah i, I kind of hate that i can't really stand that really yeah i don't like that um if you're making a cool video like it's good shots and you can make a cool video out of it i've seen a lot of videos that i enjoy from that angle but if that's the angle you have for the game kind of sucks if you're trying to get better that that makes sense yeah because i guess you don't see the depth too right that that's another huge thing there's like there's a lot goes into it you can't see like when people get horizontal um it's also generally focused on the disc, which most of what's going on is not with the disc. Um, for AUDL, I have this pet peeve because most of what I do in the AUDL is like 30 yards away from the disc. Like that's generally where I'm guarding people and it's just never on camera. And so like I can't see my footwork. I can't see the timing. Like I've gotten really good at like when I leave and when I come back on camera or when my person leaves and comes back on camera, like like I know when I should be coming back in or I know when they should be coming back in. If I can, if it's a, if they come back in camera a little slow, I'm like, Oh, I did my job there. Like that's probably what I was trying to do. Um, but yeah, so I, I really like when you can see what's happening away from the disc. See, I like that. Yeah. That makes sense too. Uh, I've never thought about that with like the, the closing the eyes and stuff, but yeah, that's, that's a really interesting drill. I've heard, um, I was listening to a podcast with a, he's an MBA strength and conditioning coach. And he was talking about how, I think they had like some markers or like, you know, like heart rate units or something on a lot of the players. And they were seeing that the better players were having like way less outputs. So they weren't having to like run as hard. Their heart rate wasn't getting up as high during the game. And some of the other coaches were like, oh, we need to like condition these guys more. Like they've got to train harder. And his mind immediately went to like, no, they're the better players because they have lower outputs. Like they're, they're constantly in the right position. So then they're working smarter, not working harder. And like a lot of times worse players make up for like a lack of game sense and field sense by just running harder and chasing your guy more and like more energy output essentially. I'd say you you see that more in ultimate than most sports um, because of the point in time that we are in ultimate. Ultimate's a new sport. So we've got a lot of people that can just work hard and, and be good at ultimate because of how hard they're working or how fast they are, how high they can jump. Um, so that makes a, a lot of sense. I definitely... I've always I come from a running background. I I ran uh, most of my most of my young athletic career. My mom was a was a runner collegiately and and very good in high school. Won a couple of state championships in cross country. Um, you want the the lowest heart rate. If you have a low resting heart rate, if you're sitting around with a bunch of runners, they're probably going to be checking their resting heart rate and be like, oh yeah, mine's way lower than yours. Um, uh, one of my favorite drills to do is is uh, shuttles. It's just a a great ultimate drill because it helps you change direction and your conditioning. But so doing some shuttles and then trying to get my heart rate as low or low as quickly as possible before I start my next rep. So can't start the next rep until my heart rate is resting again. So say it's 50 and then I do my sprinting and it's 105. Then I can't sprint again until it's probably 60 and then got to sprint again. And at the, from the beginning of a season when I'm in preseason shape, it'll probably take a couple of minutes. And then I've gotten it down to under a minute like when I was in the best shape of my life, I felt like uh, during the ADL season. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. There, how how quick did you see that that progress too of like um, it, it getting back down pretty quick? Months. Months. Yeah. yeah. Took, took a while. And it's a very uh, fairly frustrating activity if you're thinking about it. But when you go head empty and you're just breathing and, and letting it happen, then it, it becomes very nice. Right. Right on. Um, you know, if you're going out there to the field solo, like what's a typical training session look like? Footwork right now. I'm very focused on my footwork. Um, slow feet don't eat. 
you if your feet have a mind of their own, you're going to be end up in better situations even when you mess up because your footwork is good. Um, so staying balanced. Um, pretty much when I go to the fields, it's like start like warm up, hit some footwork, throw, and then see see how I'm feeling. And maybe if it's a high intensity day, do some shuttles or uh, run around on the field and play a game in my head. Another one I got from Rowan. Uh, it's, you can always just pull and then run down the pull and then play defense, do some footwork just out on the field like like you're playing. Um, that's a fun one. Uh, I've been throwing a lot here recently after I do my footwork, though. And just uh, I very much enjoy, if you have a stack of 10 or, or more discs, doing the same throw over and over again because you can each throw helps you adjust for the next throw. Lethal Shooter is one of my favorite uh, Instagram accounts, and he's from uh, around here in D.C. But he's, shooters don't miss twice because if you miss once, you know exactly what you need to do to dial it in and, and get the next throw correct. So especially when a throw is going from one of your worst throws to trying to make it one of your best throws, uh, having a lot of or you know 10 or so discs in a row to be able to just rep it out, um, that's what I greatly enjoy, especially during the offseason. Right on. Are you throwing into like a net when you're doing that, or is that more kind of out in out into the open? I I enjoy the net when I'm trying to get a lot of reps. Sometimes I'll go out and my goal is to is to get a lot of reps. Um, so then I'll go into the net, but then other times the the finish of the throw is is important enough that I opt to not use the net. So if I really want my uh, say my IO flick to finish flat and to not like die hard on the IO. I'll, I'll, I won't throw it in a net. I'll maybe try and find a field with lines so I know how far I'm throwing it and, and if it's ending the way I would, would like it to. Um, but that's also, if you're, not, uh, if you're not driving around looking for a field or you can't get to the field with lines, then it doesn't matter too much. But when you're, when you're thinking about that, it's, it's nice to, to have both options depending on what, you're trying to, what your mindset is. Right, absolutely. Do you do you feel like there's a big difference between solo throwing and if you have a partner or a group? Yes, I do not like going to the field to throw with somebody. I I actually avoid it. <laughs> Interesting. Why is that? I don't know. I feel like you get more into like the tossing mode. Um, it can be a little less focused on your form. When I am throwing with somebody, I like to either quickly get it out or work on the I'm more working on the catch to throw like that section and less on the throw so like my footwork my uh like how quickly I'm changing my grip that's the kind of stuff I'm thinking about when I'm throwing with somebody that's also stuff you I don't want to say can't but it's harder to work on that stuff without a partner so when you have a partner I really enjoy working on that stuff but when I don't have a partner it's I'm like purely focused on like the throw the the wind up and the throw, less on the catch and the footwork of it all. You still can toss it to yourself, but right, just finding like the specific thing that you can work on in in the situation. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, well, I guess if you had to, if you had to pick like three drills, I guess like you're going you're going out to the field right now. Perfect off season workout. Like what what are three drills that you're gonna do? Yep. And I'm gonna I'm uh. Shout out my boy Matt Thomas. We got a session later. I'm coaching him, and we're going to do these three. Um, so warm up, that doesn't count. But then we're going to do figure eight, uh, figure eight sprints. And so my Instagram, like all over my Instagram, you do a little figure eight, like tight footwork pattern, and then explode out of it in 20-yard sprint. And then walk back about 30 seconds between reps. 
and then do another one in about eight reps of that. If if it's a high intensity day, you can cut it down to four. If it's not a high intensity day and it's just a great way to get your heart rate up quickly after your body's warmed up, um, that that helps everything. Every aspect of my game, I feel like that has improved since I started doing it uh, about two years ago with my speed coach from high school. Um, that's the first one. Second one, I'll go defensive. I call it the defensive triangle drill. I set up a couple of cones. You backpedal or shuffle, whichever you're probably doing in a game. Um, you can switch up whatever it is, though. You uh, The point is you're pretending to guard somebody in the in the stack. When you get halfway into the stack, you shift, whether you want to force them under, force them out, or play them even. Um, and you can get really technical about your footwork and how you're shuffling there, which I... I like to get very technical about my footwork, so it's a good a good drill to do it in. And then when you get to the last cone, it's the back of the stack. They're making a cut. Then you explode underneath. Then there's a decision cone. If you're doing it by yourself or with one person, you can uh, just script it. They're going to cut deep three times. Then we'll do three times where they make a belly cut, a seven cut across the front of the stack. Um, so when you get to that decision cone, you got more footwork to nail, and then you're either cutting across or cutting deep. Um, you can do it by yourself. You can do it with one person. You can do it with a whole team of people. Uh, it's just a fun one to to nail down defensive footwork. And you can make it small, get a lot of reps. You can make it big, AUDL-sized, very variable. Those are my definitely my go-to two. Third one, off-season by myself. These are the parameters. Um, what am I doing? I've, I've just, I really like finding a cut that you want to do in a game and making sure you're nailing the footwork so i have some some hexagons um footwork hexagons you could use um some cones set some cones down you could lay some shirts on the ground but something so that you are you are making sure that you're nailing your footwork and you know exactly what your feet are doing when you're making a cut um so jog jog back into the stack to start this drill and then make a cut where you know like you're jabbing you're maybe right jab left jab in the box and then you're exploding out of it or maybe it's a it's a half jab to the right and then left jab and whatever it is but nailing the footwork like making sure you know where your feet are at on a cut i'd, I'd probably say that's my third go-to even though it's a kind of a loose drill no I, I like that for sure i think that that's huge because i get that question all the time like how can i improve my like my cuts or juking the defender or anything like that and it's like well how often do you practice that and it's like that that's the very first thing you got to go out there and actually rep that stuff out but i like that so you take a you have a very big emphasis on on footwork in in your workouts sophie don't eat that's right uh what um can you kind of walk me through so i guess with like the defensive one like you said you're you're very very detailed on your footwork like what what are some of the things that you're really focusing on or like i guess if you're coaching somebody like what are things that you're you're looking at um, I'm not sure the, if there's actual terminology on this, but what I call an open hip shuffle. Um, so a lot of times when you're shuffling, it's straight, like laterally, your your feet are in line, um, and that's the line that you're shuffling on. Um, but a lot of times in ultimate, we want to be using our body to deny something on defense. So if, I, if my body is denying somebody on defense, um, denying the deep, and I'm trying to contest the underneath, say we're forced flick, I'm going to have my body kind of a 45 degree angle to, to my person. And so I want to be able to shuffle or, you know, I guess shuffle is the right word for it, but, but move backwards while staying in that position. And if I'm turning my hips every time I'm trying to move, uh, I'm not going to be able to, to deny that whenever they make their cut. So I call it an open 
an open hip shuffle. And it's kind of like similar to offensive lineman footwork. And you're just shuffling backwards in that uh, orientation. And I, and I, it's helped me a ton when I'm maybe checking the disc and my person uses that as their cue to cut. Because if I'm checking the disc and they start moving, as long as I'm in that open hip shuffle, I'm good to go. They're going to run right into me or they're going to bump me enough that I can turn with them and, and go with them. So that's the thing that I'm on the most with almost everybody that I coach because I think that's a very ultimate specific uh, footwork and movement and not a lot of people think about it and not a lot of people do it. So I'm I'm very I'm big on that right now. Gotcha. So it's kind of like like just keeping your hips square to to the person as you're able to move around with them pretty much. Yep. I the way I the like one of my cues is how would you like to guard this person and now if they're moving how would you move and while staying in this position. Right. Almost like basketball then in a sense but just expanded out a, a lot more. Very big, yep. Yeah. No that, that that makes sense for sure. And then for cutting too like are you are there specific things like I know you you talked about like the jab with the the hexagons and stuff but any other cues or specific things you're looking at getting low a lot of stuff that you talk about um it's all like uh force absorption and like change of speed stuff staying on your toes and uh letting your whole like leg chain absorb the impact and you got to be low get your hips low to do that if you're off balance uh you're either not going to slow down quickly it's going to start to hurt over time you'll slip etc 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 yeah, hundred percent. Um, do you have any like drills that you would say, like saying that they're a hot take? I guess doesn't technically make sense, but like, do you have any drills that people might look at and go, mm, "That's that's kind of weird," or "I don't think that's really effective," or "That's not specific to ultimate," but you find have a lot of value? I have some some very ultimate specific ones that um, people kind of don't love, or I don't see people doing um even though i've shared with them um i got this from frank huguenard he calls it juke to puke it's my my favorite thing i call it 1b0 sometimes depending on the vibes of it you can do juke till you puke that's a very high intensity or you can warm up with 1b0 uh, you're just tossing yourself the disc and the idea is to um be balanced and uh ready to move when you catch the disc so you're gonna throw it with your catching grip so however you catch it you gotta throw it and then you're going to get to it, slow down, catch it, and explode out. Um, if you are very good at it, you can be throwing the disc 10 or so yards, um, but it helps to start with, like, two-yard throws. So you're just tossing the disc and a whole lot of spin on it. It helps with the throw. It helps with your balance. It helps with your catching, like, reading. It helps with a ton of things. If it's very windy, it's a very fun drill to do. Um, but yeah, you're just tossing the disc to yourself and changing directions helps you feel elusive, uh, helps you get in like different like shin angles that you're not normally at, helps you uh, throw different stuff, which you're not always going to throw them in a game, but if you have a better control of the disc, a better understanding of how the disc flies, the things you can do to the disc, then you're going to be a better ultimate player. So I really, really enjoy the 1v0 juke till you puke drill. Um, it's great for warmups. Yeah. And are, are you doing that for, like, distance moving forward, or is that for time? Or no, uh, Normally, uh, juke till you puke, you're going to do it till you can't, or 45 seconds. Um, 30 seconds is also a good a good uh, area to start at, or time period to start at. Um, but 1v0, if you're doing it more, like, to get warmed up, then you could do, yeah, like, 10 or 20 throws. That's Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting you say that, because that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. It's like, uh, you know, PJF performance. Yep. Yep. So big basketball guy, obviously, and 
Um, he talks a lot about like coordinated warmups and doing warmups where it's just like just the weirdest, like wackiest stuff that you would never do in game, but you get really coordinated in like the gather, right? Because everybody works on dribbling, everybody works on finishing, but that gather from dribbling to finishing is not worked on a lot. So you rep that out 30, 40, 50 times in a warmup, and it's like you get a ton of reps of that. And so I've been playing around with exactly that, like just toss myself the disc and then move to the side, toss myself, and then you get quick like 40, 50 reps of like that quick catch to to dish out or uh, catch the throw. So yeah, yep. I like the the high intensity aspect of that too. Yeah, yeah. There's another one also um, that I got kind of from a PJ posted something. I think it was Jaws warm up, um, but then I just kind of riffed off that. But you're shuffling in a circle. And um, I do this with the people I personally coach a lot. And I'll toss them a ball, a cross ball or a tennis ball. And they've got to catch the ball, keep it above their head, and toss it back to me while they're shuffling in a circle. So it's uh, stuff you're doing on the field a lot um, individually, but kind of into just like a somewhat fun game of, of shuffling in a circle, catching the ball and tossing it back. And then when you get good at that, and then add in change of directions every once in a while, you got to shuffle back the other way. Um, just a fun way to warm up, not necessarily ultimate specific uh works like i feel it the most on the marks like you're it's very easy to keep your uh shoulders and arms disassociated from from the rest of your body after doing this drill right yeah i like that a lot yeah i i think your point too about like it not being ultimate specific is actually good in a sense right because like i love ultimate but also a lot of people don't come from like any sort of athletic background when playing ultimate so we're missing out on like being athletes like yeah just just to be like pretty blunt with it right so like doing a lot of that stuff in the warm-up where it's just like general coordination just general like athletic stuff like stuff that almost looks like pe class like i think is is huge because it develops like a lot of movements and coordination that like you don't really get in the sport a lot of times my mom is a is a college or a high school track and cross-country coach and she is always hanging these uh like things up on the wall in the in the athletic hallway it's some I don't know the specific stats, and she she probably I probably should know, um, but almost all D one football players that end up as NFL football players were multi sport athletes in college or in high school. Like playing other sports, like being a well rounded athlete, makes you better at every single sport. There's not a sport where if you just do it all the time, you're going to be better at it than somebody that's also playing another sport. Maybe like wrestling. I think that's like the one where the stats are kind of like you should just wrestle all the time. Right. Yeah, no, because that's a, that's a huge thing in other sports now. Like, you look at golf, for example, and you have these, like, eight-year-olds that are so specialized. They start working with, like, a PGA pro, right? And by eight, nine, ten, they get really good. But it's just because it's, like, no other eight, nine, ten-year-old is playing that much. So you peak when you're ten years old. But yep. then, you know, the kid that's been playing basketball, football, soccer, that now decides to go play golf, like, they've just... They're, they're so much more in tune with their body. They're just so much more athletic that then when you teach them how to golf, like it's going to all come together. Yep. So yeah, exactly that. Like, um, I've talked about before too, like you look at what project players are. A lot of times project players are just athletes that then you have to give the skill of ultimate. And like they came from other sports, right? Football, basketball, soccer, and all that stuff. Yep. And a lot of people say ultimate is a like very skill-based sport. Like you need to have, like you've got to be able to throw to play ultimate. But arguably our best player ever people i mean bo kittredge couldn't throw and he's one of the best ultimate players ever so like you can you can definitely in ultimate currently add the skills 
after you've worked on the athleticism, but athleticism is, is very important. As good of a thrower, as, as skilled as you can be, you've got to have some athletic ability to play, to be very good at any level. Right, 100%. Yeah, and then when, when you get somebody that, like, has both, like, maxed out pretty much, like, the sliders are all the way up, like, th- then it's over, right? Like, if you take Bo and then you, you turn his 2K, like, throwing sliders all the way to the edge, like, like he, he's going to be, like, even greater than, than he was, right? So, yeah, I, I think, like, having people understand, too, that it's not, like, one or the other. Like, nobody's out there saying, like, oh, you just got to be an athlete and, like, forget throwing or, like, you forget throw or forget being an athlete like you've just got to throw it's just like if you can get really good at both and see them as separate things then it, it's game over right. yeah um well, cool let's shift a little bit more yes we talked a lot about um you as a player and you mentioned a couple times that you're coaching as well um what are some of like the the biggest flaws and i guess there are things that like weaknesses you've seen in a lot of players and you know things that improving has or improving those things has like helped their game the most I'd say kind of what we just talked about, like seeing um, themselves as an ultimate player, as an athlete and a skill, ultimate specific skill um, athlete. Um, Like people don't often see themselves as the two sides of the coin, as an athlete and a very skilled ultimate technician. Um, So when, when I see players kind of like wrap everything, wrap all the parts of their training into, into one and treat it as getting better at, ultimate by being an athlete and the skill stuff that's when they start to like make strides like you can't just like i need to i do i'm all i'm an all all right ultimate player but i need to be more athletic like that's not really gonna that's at least not the mindset that's gonna take you places um and vice versa so especially coaching like college age kids college age guys um that's huge for them like being able to wrap the whole thing into one and and be on the track and take a disc with them go to the weight room and then and then throw like do all the things while while watching film like like wrapping it all together whatever that looks like for you like some some people don't watch a lot of films some people don't lift that much you can't really force anybody to do anything so just hitting your stride as an all-encompassing like ultimate athlete is huge and so it's mostly a mindset thing for me that's that's what I can coach the best um, because that's what I see lacking in the most amount of people um, and it's it's so easy to coach somebody when they've got the mindset and all you got to do is give them some drills, help them with some technique. That's easy. That's like, that's I, I greatly enjoy doing that, but that's not what you see most of the time. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like not hand-holding in a sense, but like you've kind of got to push them down the road uh, a lot of times, or the right path in, in a sense. Sometimes, yeah. And are there are there any kind of like innovative things i guess that you're you're implementing with a lot of the the people that you're coaching like are there places that you see the game progressing that you're trying to kind of work into the the people that you coach simply being able to throw and go is huge i think whichever way you think the game is going um whether that's like hex i think that's still a a way that people i think think the game is is uh, generally shifting like a more spaced out um style of play being able to throw and go is huge. Um, I wouldn't call this innovative, but uh, like inside pivot, like being able to pivot multiple ways and understanding why you're pivoting and where or why you're pivoting where on the field. Um, Japan's been doing that forever um, or for a very long time. Um, so that's huge, and we're not focused that much uh, in the U.S. On, on the pivoting. So throwing and going, pivoting, those are, I think, the the big things that um, 
I think the game is going very small ball. Um, people have probably heard of, of shredding, like where it's more of a motion-based offense. It's less about like let's set somebody up in space in isolation and more about using the whole team as a unit and bouncing the ball uh, around these, these points. So, yeah, being able to throw with one foot in the air and already running somewhere is huge, and then it helps uh, emphasize your fakes. Um, it helps you be balanced and actually fake quicker and move from, uh, like, as far as you can on a flick side to as far as you can on a backhand side better because you're getting all that weight on, the, on your front foot to push off, um, and the weight isn't there already when you're about to throw. Um, I think those are definitely the most innovative things. Ultimate right now is at a spot where very simple things can be innovative, and it is more about being very intentional about what you want to do. Truck Stop is very intentional about how they're playing offense. They're, they don't even really need a, a prescribed system for it to be innovative. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where my head's at, like innovation wise. I'm definitely always trying to innovate. Like that's just where I how I like sports. Like I love Steph Curry. He's one of my favorite basketball players. Um, I watch a lot of a lot of uh, snowboarding and skiing and stuff. And when people are just doing different stuff, it's it's sick. And that alone can, in a sport that we play with defense, like distract your defender. Like if your defender doesn't know what's going on or they're thinking about something else, then it'll work. So if you're running around on the field yelling "shred, shred, we're shredding," and but you're just doing good balanced throwing goes, like it's gonna work. So that's kind of yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point too. Like. You know, Steph Curry came into the league like what 2009 ish, I think, right? But then him coming into the league completely changed how basketball is played now. And at the time, like when he came into the league, when he was a rookie, like basketball was already like over 100 years old. So you could say, like, oh, the game was already evolved and then evolved even more. And Ultimate is so young as a sport, like just hit 50 years, I think, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. See, exactly that. I think to, to think that we have all the answers right now is is ridiculous really. yeah. yeah so exactly it's like you constantly got to be like like thinking and changing and wanting to innovate so i think yeah i i really admire like you know the stuff that you're doing where and i've seen like you know the stuff that you've posted where like you're trying to innovate and come up with new ideas and be like open to new ideas that are out there too because i know there are some ideas out there like on reddit that are instantly shot down but like got to kind of hear them out or yeah hear them out like be open to them and kind of see what's up and you never know where, like, what's going to come out of an idea, um, because you could be talking about, you could be talking about a whole system. Somebody's got a new system that they think is perfect. And for me, this is like hex. Like when I look at the hex stuff, a lot of it's like, all right, that's you know, I'm that's whatever, it's cool. But then the shape of it is huge for me. Like when you're, uh, when I've done this stuff with Frank Huguenard, the shredding stuff, you end up when you're running a motion offense, you end up in kind of a hex. Like if you space out like you would on a basketball court on an ultimate field, you end up kind of in a hex. You've got your like you've got your postman, you've got some deep people, you've got some wings, um, you've got some some help and the ball, like that's that's kind of a hex. So you never know what like by learning about the game, by being a student of the game, you're you're gonna pick pieces up here and there and put them together, um, in your style. Like a lot of people will be like, Oh, I've seen that. Somebody like these these people ran that then like it's good to know all those things, but to, but to kind of be, I guess, egotistical enough to think you've seen the exact thing before, you've just seen pieces of it, and you're knowledgeable. You should then take that and and maybe see see what worked, what's working for them, and what didn't work for them, and maybe some of those answers will help each other out. 
Um, so it's just it's just good to know things. Like it's great to know things. Hundred percent. Yeah, I heard a quote not too long ago. I don't even remember the exact quote, but it was something along those lines. Like, if you judge an entire system just based off of how one person implemented it, and it's like you're not actually like that's that's a very unfair like representation of what that system was, right? So actually, like looking deeper, I think is is huge, right? Um, cool. Got two more questions just to kind of wrap it up. Um, what are what are some of the biggest training flaws that I think that that you see like players out there doing like maybe very very common drills that you see on like high school or college practices or players out there you know doing solo stuff like what's something that you feel like is you know for lack of better terms kind of a big waste of time yes the the thing that I feel people waste their time the most on is working very hard with no intent um, it feels like you're just burning energy for me it feels like you're just burning energy and not getting very not getting better and you could be getting a little bit better but not based on the amount of energy you're outputting so like if you're if you go into a workout and you don't know what you got better at when you leave to me that's a waste like if if you can't break it down this is what i got better at today um i might have gotten better at that i, I wasn't really focused on that it's good to know that you might have gotten better at that but you weren't really focused on it whereas if you just are running a track workout very hard like that's cool but did you did you get faster today like you got to leave the field knowing i got a little bit faster today i increased my uh like i increased the my resting heart rate i increased my my anaerobic capacity that's that's you should you should know that that's that will help your that will help your brain and your soul like connect and be better and be a better athlete when you leave cuz otherwise you're just out there running your meat suit around you know yeah it's it's literally like we talked about earlier like just having higher outputs for the sake of high, having higher outputs but like work work smarter not harder a lot of times yeah cool well the final question i have um i, tr I try to end all episodes now with this one because it's one of my favorite questions but like i think a lot of times like we've we've talked kind of a lot about like the answers in a sense right but i think a lot of times it's about asking better questions than just having the answers so for me, like, I want to know what the best minds are questioning, right? Like, I want to know what keeps LeBron up at night thinking about basketball. So when you're thinking about ultimate, like, now, what are the, the biggest questions you have? I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, but yeah, what are some of the biggest questions you have about ultimate at the moment? There's a, there's a couple. First one is O-line and D-line. I don't, I don't know about the O-line and D-line thing. I try to not think about it too much because it's also, like, I'm on teams that are running O lines and D lines, but but I'm not sure about. I'm not convinced on the O line and D line. Maybe you got ten guys that can play the whole game, and they should play the whole game because they're that much better than the other team. That's as far as I'm gonna go with that one. The the other one that I think about a whole lot. I gotta think about how to phrase this succinctly. What ratio of dribbling to hucking? is ideal right now we're at uh depending on the division and the league we huck about at least at least 50 percent of the time there's a huck or a deep throw um based on the, like on the throws uh, uh the zero to five yard throws are greatly outnumbered by the 15 to 30 yard throws i think it should be closer to 80% dribbling, 20% hooking, maybe even 90, 10. 
because then the hucks are going to be free. You're only going to huck it when it's free, when you when you have to huck it, as I would say as a coach. Like, it's wide open. Your cutter's going to be pissed that you didn't throw. So I think it's closer to 90-10, uh, and right now we're more at a maybe even 80-20 the other way, 70-30. Interesting. Just to relate it back to basketball then, so it's kind of like, like, I guess, driving versus shooting the three in in a sense i would call it we're i would call it um more iso versus motion like we're running all isos right now pretty much the american style is move the ball so you can get iso run a side stack is just iso vert stack is iso host stack is two people isolated all the whole systems are around isolating people in big space if you can get if you can get somebody in big space that's the easiest way to throw around the mark we're kind of thinking like we want to throw to the break side that's that's juicy. That's where you want to get the ball. So it's like, how do we do that? And to me, I think the best players year in and year out show that they play without a mark the most. Christian Boxley had the most time, I'd say, with the ball unmarked. I haven't done the stat, but it's he's he's the best break thrower to, to me, and he's throwing flat backhands straight to the person on the break side, whereas traditionally you're going to think of the best break thrower as somebody that can step out around the mark the best. But if you can just get the ball without the mark you're gonna be very good so and in a dribbling in a 80 80 20 system you're gonna be you're gonna be throwing a lot of break throws uh without the mark the colombians do that the best um systematically to me they're throwing without the mark all the time they just if it's if you see hands you're throwing it and then you catch the ball you see more hands you're gonna throw it don't let the mark set up get the ball out yeah yeah and just keep moving like stall one stall two yep. type throws yeah i like that a lot um, well, cool. AJ, where can people find you if they're interested in coaching? Where where can they get more info? Uh, link in my bio on Instagram, AJ that frisbee guy. Uh, I, there's a website there. I don't know the I don't know the website yet. We'll put throw it in the description of this. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all the all the stuff down in the description in the show notes, all linked up. Um, well, cool. AJ, thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. Big fan. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Tobu Fitness Podcast. Our passion is to be your guide in elevating your game and mastering the art of ultimate frisbee through the lens of strength and conditioning. No hype, just substance. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and YouTube at Tobu Fitness. And to get info on one-on-one coaching and training programs, hit the website at tobufitness.com. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next time on the Tobu Fitness Podcast.